Hello. We'd like you to be aware that in this episode, we discuss mental health. If you or someone you know is affected by any of the topics covered, please know support is available and you'll find contact details in the show notes. Pretty much straight away, sort of, I got that vibe from JV that he didn't even look at the the wheelchair factor. Um, he's always sort of been that coach of, uh, I'm going to coach you like anyone else. And just because you're in a chair, I'm not going to treat you any different or give you any special treatment. Welcome to a very special series of Realising Your Potential from Accolade Wines. At Accolade, our purpose is to enrich everyday moments through our amazing and award-winning wine brands. The driving force behind our business is people. And as a proponent of community, we believe some of the most powerful learning comes from people sharing their own stories. In this series, we continue to explore the topic of high performance by speaking to those involved in elite sport and are privileged to also hear from those involved in one of the most exciting communities of Paralympics and Olympics. I'm your host, Ange Murphy, Chief People and Communications Officer at Accolade Wines. So join me as we explore this fascinating world of elite sport. In today's episode, I speak to Jason Baker, Paralympic coach, and Eric Horry, five times Paralympic world rowing champion. So Eric, can you just tell us about yourself and your journey to becoming Australia's Paralympic rowing champion? I've just been very lucky. So, um, I mean, I had a a car crash in 2001, which left me uh, paraplegic. So I received a spinal cord um, lesion at T12. So I'm unable to, to use my legs. So I guess that's basically where it sort of started. Um, everything was turned upside down and I started to get into sport and that then become my sort of help with coping with the chair. And I was lucky enough to get into wheelchair basketball and then sort of that story moved along. And then when I turned 30, um, I had a good old chat from the coach of the Australian team. Um, a good old handshake. Thank you very much. Uh, but your services are no longer. So at that stage, I'd planned to go to uh, London was my goal to make the London Paralympic team. And I was then offered either hand cycling or rowing. And it was pretty much the decision that I made choosing rowing was I could either do a 30 kilometer race or a one kilometer race. Uh, So I went, how hard could it be rowing a boat for one kilometer? I'll do that one. Um, and yeah, little did I know, um, all the work that actually goes into rowing, uh, the pictures they showed me, it looked really nice. Uh, but there, yeah, there was no mention of the hard work and the amount of time and travel that comes with it. There's two questions just from your intro. I'd be really curious to understand a little bit more. Were you ready to finish basketball at age 30 or was it a bit confronting to have someone make that decision for you? I was very uh, confronting. Um, I had started to make plans basically with my family to move uh, overseas part-time to play basketball. Um, And that one person's decision changed all those plans. So it's, it certainly turned my world upside down once again. So yeah, it was something that came out of the blue, Uh, but looking back at it, it was most probably a blessing in disguise. Was there ever a moment, though, in that decision-making where you just thought, I'm just going to give up? No, I didn't actually go to that place. I was more, 
I guess I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to get to the Paralympics and I'm going to win my own medal uh, just so I could prove that you're wrong. I don't need you to uh, help me win a medal. So it was basically no matter what, I wanted to prove the coach wrong that I was going to the games and I was going to win a medal. And then being an able-bodied person and having that taken away from you, I can't imagine what the process is, if you can even call it, if I can even respectfully call it a process, that you must go through to come to terms with that. It's much, It's certainly uh, a very hard thing to come to terms with. Um, the wheelchair itself isn't actually such a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. You get used to that very quickly. It's more, I guess, your independence um, is one of the biggest parts. And I guess as a male, the male ego was certainly um, hit pretty hard. Mm. Um, So it was all basically every day I learned something else that I was struggling with, uh, that I had to learn how to adapt and learn how to do again. So, yeah, it, it took a while, but it is it's one of those things that I guess now a positive thing it's changed my life that one night the the accident happened it's uh if it wasn't for that night I guess I wouldn't be talking to you now so there's a lot of positives have come from that moment no one's the same on how they cope with a tragedy or such a situation like that so I think I had to go through it in my way um and that might have taken longer than other people but it's I got through it at the end and I think that's one of the, the support of uh, my partner and, and family around, I think was one of the biggest parts that actually helped me through it. I'm just going to shift gears and ask JB a question because we are also focusing on the relationship between you and him as um, coach and athlete. What's the process for a, a coach and athlete to, to be selected or to be paired together? I didn't want to, I didn't actually want this question to sound like a Tinder date, sorry, but I didn't know quite how to phrase, <laughs> phrase it. But like, how, how did you get together is kind of my question. Is it an interview process or are you just matched up and, you know, it's a bit more like a blind date? It was a bit of an interesting one with Eric because I'm pretty good friends with Drew Ginn, who was pretty high up, sort of one of the, the head coach for Rowing Australia. It was just after the London Olympics. Eric had just won a silver medal. And when you get success like that, I guess people make you a lot of promises and and, and the hope for the future is pretty high. But then they couldn't find a coach for him. So Drew and Cobber asked me if I was interested in coaching him. And I, I sort of did a little bit of background and Look, he came with a bit of a reputation as being one of the most difficult people on the Australian team to deal with. But I was a bit like, well, the guy's only been rowing for two years and he just won a silver medal. And I guess there was there was a couple of sides to it. One was probably one of the, the defining one was just like the good old Aussie fair go. It was like, well, why, why can't this guy get a coach? He deserves, you know, clearly he's got some talent and clearly... He just deserves a fair go, like like anyone else would. And I couldn't really understand why. You know, I thought that was that was unfair. And the other the other wasn't reason was it was just an opportunity for me. I'd never at that stage I'd never coached on a senior on a national team, let alone a senior national team. So I was a bit like, well, you're going to you're going to give me a slot straight on to the senior team, and you know I, I get to go on tour and go to the world championships with the senior team. Uh, and I figured that was that was an opportunity that was that was hard to turn down. 
it sort of blew my mind a little bit that there was no one, no one willing to put their hand up to coach to coach Eric at that stage, which was probably the main the main factor, you know. I think the two of you have uh, certainly showed the world that what you can do. It's pretty amazing. Eric, if I shift to you, how was it for you getting JB matched up with JB, to use my, my Tinder expression? <laughs> it was uh, very much like that. I mean, I sort of rocked up to selection trials um, before we headed off to the World Champs in 2013 and Drew said, oh, your coach is going to be here. And it was, yeah, just sort of like hanging around the boat shed waiting to meet this person. So, I mean, it, it sort of went from there. And I think pretty much straight away, um, I could sort of, I got that vibe from JB that he didn't even look at the the wheelchair factor. Um, he's always sort of been that coach of, uh, I'm going to coach you like anyone else. And just because you're in a chair, I'm not going to treat you any different or give you any spe- special treatment. I mean, I'm certainly not the easiest athlete to uh to deal with like JB said so they always say to be a single sculler you've got to be a bit special so I think I tick that box quite well and I'm sure JB would agree with me um but yeah I mean we've had our ups and downs and I guess as you'd say on our first date it didn't it didn't all go to plan yeah so I mean make you pay for dinner we had a we had a little bit of a uh miscommunication between athlete and coach and um, I guess I was about to walk out of the uh, the restaurant without paying for dinner. So, but um, no, I mean, and it was it was one of those things. I think when I let my frustrations out, and after that, it sort of I really got to see, I guess, the person that JB is himself um, outside of being just a coach. And I think that's the one thing that JB brings as a coach was um, he wasn't following a book. Like a lot of coaches will sort of, oh, you should be doing this, this, this. JB is very much um, will runs on sort of, well, okay, this is what my athletes are like. And it's, you don't want to be like anyone else. I want to be the best. So there's no point trying to be someone else because I want to beat them. So I think that's one thing JB really showed me not to look at myself any differently and just focus on on the positives that I have. So am I understanding it correctly, prior to winning Silver at London, you didn't have a coach? I had a coach up until the London Paralympics. Mm-hmm. After the London Paralympics, the coach uh, moved on and become a school teacher. Mm-hmm. He, he thought that it was easier dealing with school kids than dealing with, with me, so... Um, he moved, moved on. And then, yeah, I had nearly 12 months where I had no coach at all. So then JB turns up and it's basically the start of the, uh, the roller coaster there as far as we're on and where we go. And what did you do in those 12 months when you didn't have a coach? Did you coach yourself or how, how did you manage that? Yeah, pre- pretty much just jumped in the boat and, and rode. I got my, um, wife, she was, taking my boat down to the water for me and backwards and forwards. So it was just that whole thing of I want to prove everyone wrong um, and I'm going to do it no matter what, Um, which I think is a a good factor. But in some ways, like JB said, I was well known for 
for being very outspoken, um, speaking my mind and being a bit hard as far as sort of give and take as an athlete. And there's some positive things about being so stubborn, but then there was a lot of negative factors of me being so stubborn as well, which I've learned um, over the years now. And um, that's how we sort of got away around it. And then, yeah, JB turned up. And then I think about five weeks later, we were at our world championships. And, and that's when you won your first gold medal at the world championships. Is that right? Yeah, that's when we got our first gold and first uh, world record. That's fantastic. So you thought he was a keeper by then? I thought he wasn't too bad. Um, I mean, his hairstyle was a bit out there when I first met him. But, um, yeah, it was – he just treated me like a normal person. And I think that's one of the biggest things, being an older athlete. He treated me like a person and wasn't worried about the wheelchair and it was just about having fun and enjoying the process. And I think that's one of the biggest parts that he really has actually helped me along my journey is actually that enjoying the process, enjoying being where you are. And I think it's something that a lot of other coaches could learn from is that factor that you have to be able to switch on and off. And I couldn't do that. I was always on all the time. And JB's showing me how to actually turn the switch off and on when it comes to racing and training so which makes a better athlete so jb how how did you do that with eric it's taken a while uh (laughs) you know and the relationships you know developed over i guess eight eight or so years now i think i had been coaching him for a couple of months when, when we had that first big blow up it was a bit of a defining a bit of a pivotal point i feel you know because i Felt like I was honest with him and, you know, he got a bit upset and, and it went pretty south pretty quickly. But I think that that sort of honesty set, set the tone from there from there on in. It's all, it's all been based around that. And, and I guess one of the things I've also learned from Eric as well is, you know, just, just patience. You know, I, I know he's a pretty incredible athlete, but and some, things, some things will change quickly and other things, other things not so much. Like he sort of alluded to, I think he's... I think letting the athletes' personalities come out is is pretty important. I, I don't really think that, you know, everyone needs to be, you know, you need to put force all the square pegs through the round holes and get this sort of homogenised, you know, amorphous bunch of athletes. I, I don't think that is conducive to the best the best outcomes, you know. And, you know, I, I sort of accept some of the some of the things about Eric that, that would bother other people because, you know, Think, I think people don't necessarily understand that the things, some of the personality traits that, that make Eric able to do the things he can do, you know, don't always endear him to, to sort of society in general. Now, he's, he's, come, he's come so far in a lot of those aspects, like, you know, he's really a different person. Um, and I think his rowing has also improved for some of that. But then again, there's some, some things in there. It's just, you know, he's, he's, his stubbornness and his will to win you know, that, I don't think those things will ever change, uh, and they're things that we don't really want. We don't want to change. Just the patience and and, and a bit of calmness. I think we spoke about it last time, and it's just mm. how I feel. You know, your demeanour will be reflected in your athletes, and I think just I just try and be steady. You know, I try and be you know a bit of a calming and a and a I guess a trusted a trusted influence. You know, I'm pretty I'm pretty conscious that. You know, Eric can always rely on me and trust and trust me. 
So, you know, I'm very conscious that I, you know, I never let him down or I'm always there for him. So that's, you know, that, that's a big part of the relationship, the trust. David talked about trust. It was one of my questions, how do you go about building trust in a coaching relationship? But I suppose a more pointed question for me is, was there a moment when you knew, like, JB had your back, like you could trust him? I mean, I've always struggled with trusting people um, throughout all my life. Um, so basically being very vulnerable and having to allow this new person in, it, it, it was very hard. Um, but I think um, JB standing up and going, well, we need this sort of equipment or we need this equipment, it really showed that he was at my side. Mm. Um, and throughout the years, there's been numerous things that JB's done as far as uh, being in my corner, supporting me and being there for me, being there, that phone call when I've needed to make a phone call and speak to someone, uh, beyond being a coach, being a friend, and, and being a mate. And I think it really showed itself uh, back like in 2015 when I was struggling mentally and ended up in hospital, just battling with everything. And uh, JB was there for me throughout that process and he was that first person of call. And I think that's where our relationship went from being um, a coach athlete to a friend uh, relationship a lot more and beyond. And I think um, allowing myself to know that he's making choices for me that are actually going to benefit me as far as making the boat go fast. And I think that was always the hardest part was actually allowing myself to be vulnerable and allowing someone else to, to take control of bits and pieces of the sport for me where mm. I wanted to be able to control the whole factor. And it's just not realistic. You just can't do that. You've got to allow people to help. And that was most probably one of the hardest things for, for me to do. But yeah, JB's always showing that he's there to, to help with the boat going faster or even outside of the sport. So, I mean, I think that's one of the, the biggest parts it's, allowing yourself to be vulnerable to allow people to to get that trust. But at the same token, you've got to be able to show them your trust as well. And has that helped you more in you more in your general relationships? I mean you said that you've something you've always struggled with with having trust, but this relationship that you've had with JB, has that helped you with other relationships and being a bit more vulnerable? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, JB's um says it how it is especially more now and I mean he he certainly tells me to uh pull my head in when I need to pull my head in and it has I mean he's he's done a a lot for me and it has made a massive difference um never mind just in my sport in general um with like uh the different CEOs of our sport and directors and stuff like that it it's made that relationship for me better because JB's like, oh, Eric, maybe you need to approach it this way. Where in the past I would have just gone straight in, said my piece and then wheeled away. But JB's like, well, it doesn't always work that way. And he sort of really has driven me in the right direction on how to approach different subjects. So 
as a partner and a father, um, he certainly helped me. I know that JB's a big meditator. Eric, have you got into that? Is that something that's worked for you? Yeah, it's, um, it is a massive thing. It's something that's so simple, but it does actually make such a massive difference in your everyday life. And um, it's something that I guess I took for granted earlier on. And um, it's, I guess we can both tell when we haven't been doing enough, if JB hasn't been doing enough sort of time by himself and, and stuff like that. Cause a lot of people don't realize when we are away, I mean, JB's lucky enough. He gets to um, spend a lot of time with me mm. and I mean, that's, that's hard on anyone when you're with someone basically sort of 20 hours a day type of thing all the time leading into a stressful moment. And, yeah, the meditation really makes a big difference in that process. When you're out doing the case on the water, do you find that meditative? It's a weird thing. Unless you've been in a, a rowing boat and felt the process of just the whole being out there, especially in a single skull, um it's it, it's so relaxing but taxing at the same time um there's so much that you get from it but at the same time you get the lactate and the burn which i love um but that's my comfort zone and i think that's the um the one thing when you get to go around the world and train in various lakes and and stuff like that it is you need to just suck it in and enjoy the moment and the process of where you are. And I think that's being able to accept that. You know, you moved from basketball to, to rowing. So you went from a team sport to an individual sport. Is, is there, I'm assuming there's a different mindset, mental resilience required when you're an individual athlete versus a, a, a team sport? Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, uh, basketball was the first team sport I'd ever played. So it was actually harder doing a team sport for me than actually doing the um, single sport. So it is, I mean, when you're in the boat, there's no one else to blame. There's no one else that can step in when you start getting tired. And if you don't put a hundred percent in, you're not going to get a hundred percent back. So in a team sport, you've got to hope that all your, teammates are putting in the same effort so I think that was one of the biggest parts where um, I was able to control it in a team sport I couldn't control my environment I couldn't control what other people were doing where as an individual I can control the training that I'm doing um, if I'm not putting 100% in it's my own fault um, so yeah I mean I always say to people I don't play well with others so that's why I chose rowing some people struggle with individual sports some people struggle with team sports you've got to be able to uh, work out if you're looking at sport or whatever it is that you do group environment some people really thrive in the office for that some people are better off in their own office and away they go um, and then when you're out there doing all those kilometers I mean how do you keep yourself motivated oh yeah I, mean, I just basically sit in the boat and um chat to JB yeah he uh says nice words to me um, and encourages me on how well I'm rowing and stuff like that. Uh, just exactly what a coach would normally do. Um, 
but no, it's I I set myself goals for um, training and events and and stuff like that. And I mean, we've been working together now long enough, JB and I, that a lot of the time when JB's about to say something, I know exactly what he's going to say. And nine times out of ten, it's normally that my stroke's not very good, but or little bits and pieces that uh, he's told me to do. But even in the boat, he tells me to clear my mind and just focus on what you're doing now. Don't worry about what's happening at home. Don't worry about what's happening around me. And I think that was the the biggest thing that I struggled with was my mind was going 100 miles an hour and I'd be thinking about every single thing when I was in the boat, which then distracts me and I wasn't getting 100% out of each session. And mm-hmm. I think that's a one of the biggest things that has changed over the years. A question for both of you. So five world championship titles, two Paralympic silver medals, I think I'm correct. What's yes. your secret to success? Eric's talented and hardworking. Like it's- Can we record that? <laughs> I'll deny it. So, no, it's true. Like, he's determined. Uh, he's driven, you know. Uh, and more and more, he's, I think he's driven now for the right reasons. And that, that evolution in his motivation has helped his longevity, uh, you know, to the point where, you know, he's he's going faster than he's ever been. You know, uh, we are in Tassie last week and, you know, he, he went under the world record. So that was pretty exciting, really. Mm. Um, just on that though and a quick, probably a question for both of you though I watched that race there was you and then there was another um, fellow who was in a different class can I say that or you know different racing class I'm not sure if that's the way you no, articulate it's right. it it's exactly right yeah. yeah exactly and he was going like if I didn't know that yeah he was going faster than you so he crossed the line but I mean, does that do something to your mindset, even though you know you're in different races, but there's just the two of you and there's someone ahead of you? I just, I was just really curious about that, how you manage that mentally. It's sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Uh, yeah. But no, it's it certainly uh, worked in my favour there. Um, Simon is very new to our sport and um, he's doing unbelievable. So for for me to have someone side by side, it was sort of a lot more like what it is when I race in Europe. Mm-hmm. So it was actually very beneficial for me. Um, I mean, it would have been nice to be able to beat the person in the category above me, but yeah, to to be as close as I was to him, um, it was unbelievable, and it was just a great race. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the the things that JB has always told me is enjoy the racing the, uh, the racing's the fun part yeah it it hurts for a little bit but it doesn't last as long as the training pain does so and that was that was a great race you feel in the boat move so quick um and just believing in yourself mm. and i think that was that's the the good part but i just love racing what is it that you love about it uh, the lactate just the the, the feeling scent, the feeling that you get um i guess Rowing's a such a brutal sport on your body, and just feeling that motion of what that I'm moving the boat myself, and 
yeah, just hearing the water sort of move underneath the boat, it's just surreal. What are the three most important things for you in the coaching relationship? Trust, belief, and I guess uh, being honest. JB? It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be far from those things. I guess our ability to communicate has, has evolved as well. Eric, uh, Eric says he knows what I'm going to say. Well, why didn't you fix it before I had said it? No, only kidding. Um, <laughs> so things that, you know, would have taken a, a while to say previously, you know, it's a little more succinct now. The, the trust, trust is, is a big one. And I guess I, I've, got, I've got a lot of confidence in Eric as well, part of, part of the... Part of the thing there is it helps get us through because most of the time, well, sometimes I, I feel like I've got more in him than, than he has. And so, you know, it's part of my job to bring him up a bit there. You know, I've got a fair bit of confidence in his ability. Yeah, I think on our last chat, you told me that he's one of the most talented athletes you've ever worked with. No, I didn't ever say that, no. <laughs> I've got that recorded too, Eric, so I can send it to you if you like. So uh, yeah, it's no, actually definitely. officially on the record. It is. Definitely. That is true. Yeah, it is true. No, very complimentary. Okay, I'm just going to quickly shift gears to Tokyo. So Tokyo is going ahead. How did you both prepare for that, an event that was supposed to happen 12 months ago and then and then was put off and then there was a lot of uncertainty? How did you manage through that over the last 12 months? I don't, I don't know. It seemed to roll around pretty easily for us. We never really stopped training and Eric always just viewed it as as a bit of an opportunity just to get, just to be even better by the time Tokyo came. One of the things that we're fortunate, we're pretty low drag, you know, there's only the two of us really, we're not wildly affected by, you know, rowing Australia or too many other things. And we can just sort of take our bat and ball and do what we want a little. So, so it didn't slow us up. We weren't really restricted by shutdowns of training centers or we could continue to row all the way through without, you know, breaking any rules. You know, Eric's been been pretty pretty serene about the whole thing and just viewed it as an opportunity to get another extra 12 months training, be even better by the time the games rolled around. Yeah, I agree with um, JB there. I, I think for me, uh, it gave me a bit more time mentally just to um, switch off and, and spend some time with the family a bit more around the training. Um, for me, it was the first time I'd ever been home for all my kids' birthdays. So that was something that was um, pretty surreal. And just the training was, I was able to allow the body to sort of recover from niggling little injuries and just basically go back to basics, reintroducing the fun factor um, into the sport and not just looking at it as a a full-time job and not enjoying the process, making sure that I reassess my goals and be able to um, refocus on the fun factors and why I enjoy what I do. I had that time to to realise that I love being in the boat. I mean, I love the travelling. I love the, the sensation of racing and just sort of self-belief and being able to, yeah, focus on those little bits, those one percenters and knowing that there's no real pressure, that I'm just out there having fun, sitting on my rowing machine in the back shed and just enjoying stuff.
like on the nine seconds, the world record. Like that's pretty amazing. That blows my mind, Eric, um, to be honest with you. How are you feeling going into to Tokyo? Are you feeling pretty confident or do you just kind of have to bank that and put your head back down? You, you can't look at that. That was yesterday. A time isn't relevant when it comes to, well, I don't feel when it comes to a Paralympic Games or a World Championships, especially in rowing, because conditions can be different. Um, and you've, you've got a lot more people sitting beside you that are as hungry as you are representing your country. So, I mean, it, it gives me a lot of confidence. Um, and there's certainly a lot of areas within the two kilometres that I need to um, work on, which will then make the boat go faster again. So it's been able to just tick that box and go, yep, cool, that number's been broken. Now let's reset and let's set it another number and see if we can break that. So it's just about having those goals of I'm going to keep setting myself goals and keep going for them. JB, just a question for you because um, you also were coaching the was it King's Cup or New South Wales King's Cup crew? And yeah, New we South watched King's Cup crew, yep. Yeah, we watched that race as well. Yep. And you could be down on first place by is it 0.16 of a second? Is that yeah. right? Yep. yep. So the thought process that I had was, is it easier to deal with a loss that close, or is it harder? Would you prefer to be a couple of boat lengths behind? I mean, it was a that. I mean, that was a phenomenal race. That one was that one was particularly painful because we were favourites going in, uh, and and I guess the feeling is that we probably should have won that race. Um, and if, if they'd beaten us by a couple of lengths, you know, things really would have gone wrong. Uh, but it was pretty close, but that's, you know, the, the margin there probably, it was a significant enough that they, they'd beaten us uh, sort of fair and square. Um, and I guess because most of the athletes sort of know each other reasonably well these days, and so you can sort of add up. They're all mostly in the National Training Centre, so you can sort of run the, you can sort of run the stats on the crews and, and the sort of stats said that we probably had a slightly better crew, but the Victorians always get super fired up uh, and, and are always pretty dangerous. And our, our crew just didn't quite hit their rhythm through the middle of the race. Uh, and the Victorians sort of just took advantage. Uh, our guys, you know, lots of grit, had a, had a good crack at the end, came right back at them, mm. but, but just didn't, didn't quite get there. So that was, you know, that was a pretty, that was a pretty painful one. There's a, there's a pretty, it's a pretty big race. You know, that the King's Cup and the Queen's Cup are probably the two biggest races in Australia. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the athletes will really lay themselves bare in those races, you know, racing for their state and against their mates. And there's, some, you know, the egos and bragging rights are really are on the line there in those races like like no other. So they're, they're pretty big races. Uh, it, was, it was a tough loss, actually, probably one of the toughest uh of my career, I would say, you know, I guess it comes down to winning, winning being a poor teacher. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I have to begrudgingly admit that, you know, I've learned a lot more from losing there than if we'd won. Uh, I've learned a lot. And I have, to, I have to take some of my own medicine there as well and, and look for the silver linings uh, begrudgingly. But, you know, I, I, have, I have learned a great deal. How has rowing for you or the physical exercise helped you with your own mental health? 
unbelievable. I mean, to, to be honest with you, at the very start, I mean, I was a closed book. I wouldn't allow anyone to to see inside my book in that way as far as um, if I allowed anyone in, I always thought that anyone seen me struggling mentally, it was showing a sign of weakness. And then I was worried that uh, my opposition would use that as a sort of a point to to be able to beat me. Um, and I guess at the early on stages of my rowing, um, I sort of got into that bubble where I thought that's what I had to do. And it was not allowing any weakness in my armour because if I did show any weakness, people would take advantage of it and I wouldn't win. And it sort of got to the stage where um, I guess you can only lie to yourself for so long and then you've really got to realise that um, speaking up is actually the best thing to do where I didn't want to admit that. Um, and JB would be the first to, to agree with me there where I thought I was a better person and I wouldn't talk uh, to anyone about all the stuff going on outside of rowing or stuff that was happening within rowing. And it, uh, 2015, it, it got to the stage where I lost everything. I uh, separated from my partner and, and um, I couldn't see my kids and I ended up uh, being admitted into hospital. Um, and I think that was most probably my real turning point and realizing to myself that um, speaking up and saying, look, I'm struggling, I need some help um, was actually um, that day. And I think that, that's where I highlighted the fact of uh, with JB. I mean, he, he came and see me when I was in hospital and um, basically highlighted the fact that if I didn't get everything sorted out outside of the boat, there's no point being inside of the boat. Um, and I didn't realise actually at that stage how much of a difference my mental um, aspect actually complemented my racing. And when I was allowed, not speaking, not speaking to the sports psychs and asking for help, um, how much that was actually slowing the boat down. And now that I'm, I'm very open about the, the fact that I struggle with depression and a lot of people couldn't understand how a three-time world champ could be depressed. If you, I mean, I'd gone through that stage of I'd never been beaten since 2013. I was winning all my races. I was at the highest level you could be. And as people say, if a bookie would put a sure thing, uh, everyone was going, oh, Eric's a sure thing. He's going to win this. He's going to win that. And little did they know that that pressure that I was, that they were putting on me, I was putting twice as much pressure on myself. And it, it sent me in a downward spiral. And I think that's one of the, the things that uh, people you can't take for granted is actually how much the mental fitness is actually stronger than your physical fitness. And I think, mentally I can lose a race at a start line physically it's very hard to lose a race at the start line but mentally you can be already out of the race before you even hit the water so 
And I mean, I've had that over the past years where I've got on the water and JB's basically looked and sort of said, look, you're just not, it's not your day. It's you're not in that zone. Everything's affected you. And it has. And um, we've got a result that we both weren't wanting, but, like JB said, um, you do learn a lot when you come away in second or third and you reflect on it. And the sensation as an athlete, being on that podium and not seeing the Australian flag being risen up in the middle here in the anthem, it's, it's something that I love. And seeing another country's flag in that position I don't enjoy that. And it's something that, yeah, working with um, the mental health side of things is a really big factor. And I think you've got to be able to switch off. And that's one of the big things that JB's really highlights to me that I've got to be able to switch off when I hop out of the boat. Okay, that's done. Let's move forward and not dwell on the situation. And I think with the meditation and working with um, the sports psychs and everything about it all has made a massive difference. And I think that's why now I'm actually a stronger athlete um, and going faster now than I was when I was five years younger. So it's a massive thing. When I hang up a blade or, or stop sport, whenever I do, I hope, if you know I mean, it's all well and good people looking at me and going five world championships. Um, but, I'd love to for people to look at me and go, wow, he's gone from being in that dark hole, but he's come out and realised the benefits of it all and being vulnerable yes. sort of in that way. Allowing yourself to be vulnerable does actually make yourself a stronger person. And you're now working with Lifeline. Yeah, it's a, because of the whole um, situation that I went through um, the night that I was admitted I was on the phone to Lifeline and um, the volunteer on the other end realised that I was in a really bad place and actually uh, made the phone call and got the ambulance to pick me up from my house. So um, it's something that I'm very passionate about and something that I'll work with um, for the rest of my life to try to um, show people that, I mean, you can um, ask for help. It's not a weakness. Um, you're, it's a stronger person putting your hand up and asking for help. And if you know what I mean, it, it's um, the benefits of it is unbelievable. And don't sit in your, your room trying to solve your problems all by yourself. Mm. It's such an important message. Thank you so much. Something I really want to make sure that, you know, we, we get that kind of taking care attitude for all of our people. Thank you both for your time. That's- Super generous. Thank you. Eric, you're going to have 1,680 accolade people shouting for you when you're in Tokyo. Um, And JB, you gave up some more time, which you've already given to me. So just, you know, speaks volumes to me of the the kind of people that you are. Um, So I just can't tell you how grateful I am and how much people will get out of this and enjoy your insights and your honesty and openness. So, um, yeah, I just want to tell you I'm very, very grateful. Thank you. For me, this podcast is one that had a significant impact. 
I'm truly inspired by Eric and the way he's taken significant adversity and worked really hard to not only turn that into a positive for his life, but incredible success for himself and his country. In addition to that, he's giving back, giving back to Lifeline, an organisation, as he said, saved his life. And through his work and support, he's now saving others. This success has also come through great coaching and JB's ability to take a risk on a difficult athlete, to look beyond the adversity and see the whole person, providing belief, trust, support and honest feedback and being able to channel Eric's determination and difficulties to world championship success. Thanks for listening. We love sharing these real stories, so please like, subscribe and share this episode with the people in your community. Feel free to reach out if you want to find out more or have a story to share of your own. Links to get in touch and other great resources are in the show notes. These podcasts would not be possible without a super production team. Big thanks to the team at Martino Consulting for producing this series of Realising Your Potential. 